Welcome to the Real Self University podcast. I'm Eva Shea, your host and director of practice development at Real Self. My guest today has many titles, surgeon, KOL, mom, wife, owner, researcher, entrepreneur, president, and risk taker, to name a few. A few years ago, Sheila Barbarino unexpectedly found herself expanding from Los Angeles to a second location in Austin, and she tells us how she's managed to divide her time and continue to grow. I spoke with Dr. Barbarino for this episode on March 14th, just on the heels of South by Southwest being canceled and at the beginning of understanding the impact the coronavirus would have on our daily lives. As you listen to this episode, we appreciate you keeping in mind that we were working with the information we had on that day. Welcome to the Real Self University podcast. My guest today is Dr. Sheila Barbarino. She's an oculoplastic surgeon, and she's based here in Austin, Texas, but also in Los Angeles. And so, Dr. Barbarino, just give us a little bit about yourself and your practice, and tell us about your background and how you ended up here sitting with me today in this podcast studio. Uh, so I am an oculofacial plastic surgeon as well as full body cosmetic plastic surgeon. So I love what I do. I love my patients. So I'm originally from Los Angeles, California, like Eva said, and my husband came home and said, guess what, honey? I'm moving my businesses to Austin, Texas. And That's so, how this happened. Yes. Yeah. So he moved over here. Yeah. Well, he, he told you businesses. we're moving over here. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, are we getting divorced? Like, what? What's happening? I had a practice in Los Angeles, California. I had a surgery center in full throttle. And so what people outside of the medical field don't understand is you just don't come home and move your practice like your business to another state. But it worked out. So I started going back and forth and kind of spent two weeks there, two weeks here. And now I'm three weeks here in Austin, Texas, and one week in L.A. And Seems to be working out. <laughs> um, I have happy patients in both places, so I'm super happy. That's great. Yeah. Where do you live when you go back over there? Do you still have your house? We still have our house in Manhattan Beach. Okay. So is that like going on vacation now? Like when you go over there, the weather's nicer? It, it's less nice? <laughs> no, it's the, it's we're like a block from the beach, so I love it. It's it's fun because I have my life here and then I have my life there. And then I travel a lot because I speak and I teach and I train. And we have lots of medical meetings, and it's a lot of fun. What's really amazing about medicine is it's become more and more global, and there are more and more doctors that do this two-location kind of thing. When it first happened, I thought it was the impossible feat that nobody does this two-location thing. What are my patients going to think? How am I going to do follow-up? How is this all going to work? There are a lot of doctors that do this. It's really surprising. Mm -hmm. I like to describe you. Well, I put you, I put doctors in lots of buckets, but the one you're making me think of is either you, you live to work or you work to live. Would you describe yourself as one or the other? I work to live or I live to work. I live to work. I, I love what I do. I, I, I think everyone should feel better about themselves. I feel like everyone should be beautiful or feel beautiful. And I think everyone should be the best version of themselves, whether that means that they do take care of themselves in the sense that how I take care of them or any other way. Wellness, hopefully eat well, feel good, take care of themselves, take care of their family. I always say that if you feel better about yourself, then you can take better care of your children, your loved ones, your family, your house, whatever needs to get done. You have the motivation and the mindset to give more of yourself when you feel good about yourself. Mm -hmm. 
I think about the first time I ever had Botox in my forehead. Yeah. And I, I really waited way too long. Like, I don't know why I waited so long. I was probably 39 or 40. I could have done it a lot earlier, and I certainly have known about it for a long, long time. Yeah. And what I realized was, and the reason I should have done it earlier, was that I make a lot of faces. I'm very expressionable, too. And a lot of those faces make people think I'm thinking something that I'm probably not thinking. Losing that made a huge difference for me at work because I could think something without it showing on my face. Oh, that's so funny. I never thought of that. Yes. Yeah. Unintended positive side effects. So so one level I really feel like I connect with you is that honesty is the best policy. (laughs) Whether that's good or bad, um, I'm not sure. But I think that if you're genuine and honest with the people you're talking to, I think that that's the only way that you can really connect with people. And I think that that's really something that you and I connected because, you know, if someone asks me their opinion, as well as Eva, we're going to tell them whether it's good or bad. And I think that that's an important thing to do. And I think that Botox, whether it makes you more relaxed or not as expressionful, I think that either way, your words are sincere and you're such a happy-go-lucky person in general. So I think that it's just nice for that part of you to shine through, whether, you know, the pre-Botox was making you look a little bit angrier or a little bit more judgmental or whatever you yeah, want to say. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> the, the first time I, my mom used to come up to me after concerts in college and say, you really need to learn to school your face ah, because she could tell everything I was thinking. Like if somebody behind me made a, made a musical error, I would roll my eyes or I would raise my eyebrow in a funny way. And my mom could see that all the way in the audience and Apparently, she didn't like that very much. <laughs> okay, so you also have a, not a little, little one, but you still have a, a six-year-old. You have a kiddo. He's six. Yeah. How are you balancing, like, your time with him? Obviously, when you when you have kids, they become the most important thing in your life. For sure. So what do you do to kind of get rid of other stuff to make more time for him? What are your hacks for that? Uh, so that's a, a great question. You know, I think because I love what I do, I really am fueled by the energy around me and the people I work with and add to my life. And I come home with happy patients. And it's actually funny because, you know, everybody says that they go to these mommy groups and they do all these play dates. And I really talk to my patients, you know, private versus public. What do you do about childcare? How do you get dinner on the table by six o'clock when your husband comes home? You know, these are all questions I ask my patients and they're helpful. The nanny that I have, really one of my patients gave me the contact information, and that's how I got her. Your patients are your mom group. They are my mom group. (laughs) That No, that's true, because they are the moms, you know? And they're the successful moms, and, you know, I think that the stay-at-home moms are the ones that give me the most. I think that's way harder than the job that I do, to stay home with your little ones. But I think that, you know, my patients always give me the best remedies for kids. One thing that I would really advise any mom, and I hope nobody takes this offensively because I mean it in the most sincere way, is that one thing that I think that a lot of moms that I've seen, they don't hire the help that they need. And I understand that not everyone has the luxury to hire the help that they need, but there are definitely au pairs and there are different things that you can do that reduce childcare 
facilities because I think that when you are not always the point hitter for your child, I think it makes you enjoy your child that much more. It helps you enjoy your life. It helps you enjoy your time with your child. I know we're going through a really weird time in Austin right now with um, the virus and, and what's happening today while this we're is recording crazy. This, <laughs> is that the grocery stores are apparently having lines that are like five hours long. Yeah. I cannot stand in a five-hour grocery line. And a, to be completely honest, I really haven't gone to the grocery store to do full grocery shopping in over three years because oh of curbside and shipped. Yeah. So either the groceries are being brought to me, and this is one of the ways I find more time. Oh, is that sure. That's one to two or three hours a week that I get back because someone else is doing the grocery shopping. I honestly don't know what I'm going to do to get food right now because I can't go to the store and stand in line for five hours. There's, so for those of you who haven't been to the grocery store, I haven't either because all my friends, all my moms, my, my patients have been texting me pictures of the empty shelves everywhere. There, there's no toilet paper. There's no water. It's kind of a crazy kind of mass but it doesn't hysteria. even make sense because there's no food shortage. No. There's no reason for this. Yeah. And we don't know that the virus is stored in any sort of food or packaging or anything like that. So are people just thinking, did this start because we're thinking we can't leave the house? I think or, so. And then it just sort of like spirals out of control. Like if you're going to buy all the food, I guess I better go buy my food. I don't know. I don't understand it. But yeah. I do, I do want to ask you what you're seeing in the office as far as the impact of the virus on your patient behavior. I'm very fortunate. My patients are wonderful, dedicated people, and they know I'm dedicated to them. So I really thought that, especially with the impact on the stock market and everything else, and because a lot of my patients, it's a cash pay situation. I do some insurance, but not that much. So I really thought that people would be canceling. So especially this week when schools were being canceled, Events were being canceled. I was telling Eva that in two weeks, we had a meeting in L.A. at the Four Seasons. We were all looking forward to that, and it was canceled, unfortunately. So it's it's a crazy time. It's surprising. But I have to tell you, more, I actually had my one of my busiest weeks because everyone was like, woohoo, I don't have to go to work. I can work from home. I can go see Dr. B. This is so, not the first time I've heard this. Really? I heard That's this hilarious. was happening in Seattle, too, because people who can— who are now working from home yeah. can have surgery and recover and not take off from work. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Yeah. So everyone was, well, Dr. B, now I can come in. So there's some behavior changing, but it's not affecting consults or, or actually booking procedures Not yet. yet. Not yet. So because I do this crazy travel schedule, you know, I'm deciding obviously whether it's going to disrupt my travel to Los Angeles to see my patients there. But, you know, I think that I'm going to continue flying to see my patients in LA as long as there are patients to be seen in LA and back to Austin because I think it's important for in the midst of everything that's crazy, obviously, if it's safe to do so. And as long as the CDC is still sticking with their current recommendations and as long as I'm not sick or my patients aren't sick, obviously, if you're sick, please don't come to the office. Do you feel like you have a reliable source of information about what's happening on the ground in LA? You know, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm surprised. I, I feel like they are giving, everybody is giving kind of limited recommendations. I think unless you're 
hiding in a hole in the ground. All of us have re- received at least, what, 15 emails from every single— 15 a day, 15 <laughs> a minute. —email saying what they're doing about the coronavirus and to prevent it. I mean, I think my office even sent one out yesterday. And it's important for all of us to know what, what we're doing. But, you know, let's have—it is scary because I don't think there's ever been a, a virus that has stayed around as long as it does on surfaces. We don't know any virus that's as airborne— for as long as it is, but we just don't know what the ramifications are yet. You know, I mean, I've heard many statements that this is the height of it. You know, I think this is just the beginning of it. So I'm not sure where this is going to go. They've already canceled classes at Penn and Harvard the second week of St. Gabe's. So I don't, I, that's my son's elementary school. So we'll see where this all goes. Oh, so he has two weeks off now. He has two weeks off, but they might cancel the rest of the semester like they, they did with Penn and... Um, yeah. Okay. I think we've talked about the virus enough. I want to go back way before you became a doctor. And I, I have two questions about this. One is, is it, was there ever anything you thought you would be other than a doctor? Or did you always know you were going to be a doctor? Actually, um, that's a very good question. So I am not one of those people that came out of my mom's womb and was like, I'm going to be a doctor. <laughs> this is going to be my future path. So my grandmother was a pediatrician. My grandfather was a general in the Shanghai Shek Army. So everyone thinks I followed in my grandmother's footsteps. But I'll be honest, I always loved being a little bit artistic. So I was either, my mom likes to joke around that I was either going to become a makeup artist, a fashion designer, or a plastic surgeon. So as the good Asian daughter, I became a plastic (laughs) surgeon. But I think that that's the most transformative way of making people feel good about themselves and adding beauty to the world. And I think that whether you're a makeup artist or a hairdresser or a fashion designer, it's like we make the whole world a more colorful, beautiful place and make everyone feel good about themselves. And I think that's that's what I always wanted to do. So did you ever buck that idea at any time and say, no, I'm going to be a garbage truck driver or something completely different and then come back to it? Or you just Landed on the path and kept going. No, it's funny. Everyone that I knew was going to become a lawyer at the time. My my brother became a lawyer, and I always looked up to him, and it was funny. And then I realized that it wasn't what I wanted to do. I really—I did a semester abroad in Washington, D.C., and I worked for Barbara Boxer at the time. I know. The, the deep secrets that I, <laughs> I, I keep in my class. No, she was great. And I got put on um, a committee for the Partial Birth Abortion Act. And what we did was we went into the clinics and we talked to the OBs and the patients at the clinics and kind of their take on the Partial Birth Abortion Act. And it was really important that Congress and the world kind of see their take on, you know, of course, these were abortions of women that these babies were not going to be born alive most of the time, and most of the time they would it would probably harm the mom if they were born. I mean, these are really, really late-term abortions that, you know, something is really going wrong, and that's the only time these things would happen. But I really, at that point, I was like, you know, I want to go into a field that I'm primarily dealing with women. And so I thought out first, you know, maybe I was thinking OBGYN, but then I really decided that my love was to be creative and to make everyone beautiful. So that's what I really loved. So that's why I went back to becoming a cosmetic plastic surgeon. It's interesting always how those formative experiences either tell you what you do want to do or what you absolutely don't want to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. They're just as valuable in both directions. For sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so fast forward a little bit. These days, you're a phenomenal brand builder. Thanks. And you work with a lot of companies as what we know in the industry as a KOL. So you speak and you and you you probably do a lot of research on behalf of these companies. Yeah. Who are you working with right now? What are you particularly excited about? Oh my gosh, there's so many things. So there's MERS Aesthetics, which has it's so funny. I have used their products for years back into residency when before it was even um, FDA approved for cosmetic usage. So they have ZMN, which is a purified neuromodulator, which we always say there's Coke and Pepsi, and Coke is kind of the Botox. It's the one that everybody knows about. It's the one that was the first one that was FDA approved. It's the one that everybody has heard about because of the brand recognition. ZMN is really the wonderful alternative to Botox. It's the purified protein. What a lot of people don't know about Botox and a lot of the other neuromodulators is that they have accessory proteins. When they were originally made and bottled and FDA approved for cosmetic use, what we didn't know was the compounding proteins make you resistant or can make you resistant and create immunogenicity to future treatments, which none of us want because at some point your Botox or your neuromodulator stops working as well as it used to, or sometimes it doesn't work at all. And what's nice about ZMN, which is the purified protein, the trade name's Incobotulatin Toxin A. In the studies, we haven't seen any resistance, just like an allergy shot that most of us have had to get because of Austin and, and the cedar fever, what they do is because you're exposed to that protein over and over, you become resistant to it. And that's kind of what is the same situation with Botox. So Xeomin doesn't have those proteins, so you can't have that inoculation, which is great. And so you can use it for today, tomorrow, next year, and for hopefully the next 50 years. But we haven't seen any real immunogenicity yet. I had no idea. So it's a safer alternative, in my opinion. And then MERS also has fillers. What fillers do they carry? So they carry Bellatero, which is a very cohesive hyaluronic acid. So other hyaluronic acids on the market are Juvederm, Voluma, Versa. And what I really like about Bellatero is that it really integrates well with the skin, so it looks very natural. And I like to use it for under eyes because most of the people that get under eye filler, it's because they get sort of a blue tinge or they have uh, darkening of their under eyes. Most people come in, they're like, oh my God, I look so tired. Look at these dark circles around my eyes. And what people don't realize is that a lot of fillers that you put in there can actually cause a blue tinge, which is called a Tyndall effect, and make it even look more dark or more blue. And so Bellatero, you don't get that effect with it, which is wonderful. The other product they have is calcium hydroxyapatite, which is radius, which is a very robust filler. And what I love about it is we have very uh, high G prime, which is very robust hyaluronic acids, which lift the cheek and lift and sculpt and all these wonderful things, which radius does. And then on the other side of the spectrum, we have which is called Sculptra, polylactic acid, and that stimulates collagen. And what's nice about Radius is it's kind of like the, their love child, like the happy medium. So it lifts and does all the great things, fills, and then it also stimulates collagen, which is, you know, it's like a twofer, right? It's like, who doesn't want that? Exactly. 
And then doesn't Merce also have a few devices? Yes, Althera. Althera. Althera, Christy Brinkley's campaign. She also does Xeomin. That's part of her campaign as well. But Althera is the only FDA-approved high-focus ultrasound device that tightens and lifts skin, which is phenomenal. Who doesn't want tighter skin? So when you're speaking on behalf of MERS, which products are you mostly focusing on and talking about? So Xeomin has really been my passion project because I feel like as a provider, you know, if you came in and I'm giving you risks, benefits, and alternatives, which every doctor I think has the obligation to, to tell the patient, I think one thing that even providers haven't really stressed, or some of them don't even know that you can get resistance with some of the other products. And I think that part of my discussion with the patients and part of every doctor's discussion or any provider that's injecting any sort of neuromodulator should have, that there is a small chance that you can become resistant if you don't use a product that is purified. The other thing that I think that people don't realize is that Xeomin has the least carbon footprint, which I think is important. Now the FDA requires that every single product that goes through FDA approval, they want to know how much of a carbon footprint and how eco-friendly is the product. And Xeomin, we know, is the least carbon footprint out of all the neuromodulators. How do they even figure out what the carbon footprint of, a, of an injectable is? is That's that, fascinating. It's like how, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, the production and the boxing and how it's stored. How and it gets shipped, I'm yeah. sure. Like the whole supply yeah, packaging, chain. Yeah, the whole wow. supply chain. That's cool. This is why I love this industry so much, is that every single day I learn not just one new thing, but like 50. Yeah. (sighs) That's amazing. Okay. One thing that I've noticed about my Xeomin, the way I inject it and the way I dilute it, it's lasting longer in my patients and it gives a more natural appearance, which is so funny because, you know, there's always this argument is... Is this neuromodulator better? Is the new Juvo, the Evelis product, better than Dysport? You know, there's all this controversy. What's the best neuromodulator? Who doesn't want to have the best neuromodulator injected in them? But then we have to quantify, but what is the best result? Do you want a totally frozen face? Do you want a natural appearance? So that's something you really want to tell your provider so they can pick the appropriate dosage as well as product. Mm-hmm. When you have a new patient who's never done it before, do you tend to kind of go on the more conservative side? Yeah, so it depends. If they're young, even when they're open to things, I do tend to, one thing that I really feel very strongly about is you want to make people look like the best version of themselves. When my patient is walking down the street and they look like they've had tons of their forehead's totally frozen, their face is totally frozen, they're making weird movements, that's not something that I want to sign off on or have my, you know, oh, Dr. Barbarino does me. That's just not the look that I like or appreciate. I have tons of things in my face. I have lots of radius. I have lots of Xeomin. I have lots of Bellatero. I have lots of Versa and lots of other products. But, you know, I always think that it the best look is the most natural look. And, you know, you can have a million things done with a good plastic surgeon and not look like you've had one thing done. Or you could have one thing done by a bad plastic surgeon or a bad provider, and then, you know, you look really weird. And that's not the look anyone is. No one comes in and is like, make me look super fat, you know, chubby-cheeked, or make me look super weird or plastic. You know, and if, they, if that's what they want, that's I'm just not the doctor for them. 
So I know you love being at the forefront of what's coming out. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to give their patients the best, the latest and greatest? And I want to see, you know, what is this buzz that everyone's talking about? You know, I want to try it. I want to see if it works better than, you know, because I want to be able to offer all my patients the best. I mean, the best part about this industry is I think it's the most rapidly developing, cutting edge. Everybody wants to look their best today, not tomorrow. You know, I think that it's important for me to be able to to test it on myself and see how much I love it. Does it hurt? Yeah, sometimes it does. They're coming out with new devices. Radio frequency, microneedling is fantastic. We're doing new and exciting things with stem cells. I think that's very exciting. Exosomes, I mean, the sky's the limit. You know, the nice thing is, is that because cosmetic indications are something that really um, gets people excited about spending pharmaceutical money in developing exciting things, I think that that's something we're looking forward to. There's treatments for cellulite that I think are awesome. I think we're going more in that direction to body. We have the Selfina, which actually subsizes, you know, that cheese cloth that really cuts all those pock areas on our back of our legs that none of us like. I don't I care. Don't have any. <laughs> no, I, I I, I mean, I don't care how skinny or how heavy, it doesn't matter. Here, you know, at the end of the day, it's genetics. Genetics and skin texture, some people can't do anything about. So I think that's very exciting. I think acne treatments are very exciting. And treatment of acne scarring and scar treatments are, you know, going to be amazing. Endo's trying to come out with a product that we inject and it breaks up the septae. For cellulite. For cellulite, yeah. That's, that's supposed to get... Uh, FDA approval any day now. There are longer-lasting neuromodulators that are on the, the horizon. Skincare is phenomenal. Elastin just came out with Enhance, which, you know, at first I was skeptical about. I always tell my patient there are enzymes that come in and break up the bruise, and then there are enzymes that draw the bruise into the lymphatics and make it go away. And Elastin's come up with this Enhance, which is, it breaks down that chromatic of the blood, and it dissolves it and helps it go away three times faster than it would on its own, which is like, I mean, if I could promise every single patient that I won't bruise them when I inject them, I mean, that is everything. I still don't make that promise, but yeah. hopefully we're working to that in the future. Yeah. And you can't always predict when someone's going to bruise or not bruise. No. Yeah. yeah. Even like, the same person from treatment to treatment. Yeah. And people always say, oh, well, when is this going to go away? You know, and I say, well, if I kick you in your left leg and I kick you in your right leg, I, I don't know which which one's going to bruise more. Is that what you actually yeah, say? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course you do. Of course I do. <laughs> let's, let's try it. <laughs> right? I mean, you never know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Honesty is the best policy. There's an interesting trend in skincare that I'm seeing like with companies like Curology, where they're really simplifying. Yeah. And scaling cutting down. down, scaling down the number of ingredients that we're trying to to get people to put on their face at one time. So oh, yeah. are you starting to see the the cosmeceutical grade or the, the lines the that you carry? Grade, yeah. Are they starting to move towards simplification too? You know, that's a I I have weird feelings about I have opinions about both. So there's the elastin, and there are certain brands that have 
there, there are five hero products, and that's all you need to use, and that's wonderful. And then in Neocutis as well, they have, you know, there are five hero products that, you know, you use this in the morning, you use this at night, and that's perfect. And I think that's great. And I always want to simplify everything. I think that even my life, like I only want to put on one thing. I don't want to put on 15 things. But I also think that there's like SkinCeuticals that has you know, everybody, your skin isn't like my skin. You know, I have Asian, Italian skin, and you have what? Norwegian. Norwegian, right. And and that's a totally different skin type. So one thing that I do think is really exciting is SkinCeuticals is coming up with a customization blend that's specifically bottled for you. So you're going to be able to come to my office at some point, and you're going to say, you know, Eva, what, what's going on with your skin right now? And you're going to say, you know, I'm having some redness, I'm having some dryness, I'm having some acne, and then I'm going to be able to press these buttons, and it's going to, it's going to. Really? It'll mix it on the fly? Yeah. Oh, wow. And then I'm going to be like, well, this bottle is what you're going to use in the morning. And then I'm going to say, you know, oh, and at night she's feeling like she needs a little retinol, you know, for collagen stimulation, but it's getting her a little bit dry. So I'm going to put a little bit of hydration in there. You know, here's your, isn't that cool? Wow. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. That's really for. And I think that that's where skincare is going to really start to to go is is more customization. I mean, who doesn't want a customized plan? I think you could open anybody's bathroom cabinet in a, any woman in America and just, there would probably be 200 products in there. Oh, yeah. And no one really knows what they're supposed to do with it until they get a professional to help them. Yeah. And if I could go back in time, I would get help way earlier, and I probably would spend a lot less money. It's so funny because you look at her, she she looks so good. (laughs) But yeah, no, but I agree. You know, when I I am old enough to be of that generation that when I was young, you know, my parents, oh, you know, you have acne, go out in the sun and it'll dry it out. The sun was a healthy yeah, it was the remedy. Yeah, it was the remedy. It was the Windex. You know, if you, all of you have seen the, the the big fat Greek wedding, right? It was the sun will heal everything. It will make it better. You know, how, I was also of the days that Bandesolay had the SPF two. Remember that oil, and that's what we used to put all over ourselves before we laid out. My boyfriend's younger sister used to use Crisco. Yeah, yeah. This Over, is not the, that long the, ago. The, that wasn't that long ago. And now we know better. Sunscreen is the key to preventing aging in the future. So now we know better, you know. Do you have a favorite sunscreen? Is that another yes. one that's too hard? Oh, you no, do? No, I do. I love the Elastin sunscreen. It's fantastic. So there are two, actually. I'm going to tell you, I love the Elastin sunscreen. I love the way it feels. I love the texture. I like the way it is a great primer for my skincare. I'll also say that I love the Neocutis skincare, their sunscreen, and what it's called the Journey. And what I love about it is I call it the lazy person skincare. And what I mean by that is it also gives you your anti-aging and your skin, what your skin needs with the peptides and the growth factors as well. So I just have to do one squirt and it'll give me my growth factors and peptides and my sunscreen that I need for the day. So if I don't want to do the two steps, which I would have to do with all my other sunscreens, but. Because you probably save like 10 or 15 seconds. Seconds. Seconds are everything. (laughs) But you know, on some days that makes the biggest difference. It does. Right? Yes. I do know. Right? Yeah. It's like 15 seconds more you can spend combing your hair or putting on mascara that you didn't feel like putting on. That's a reasonable trade-off, I right. think. In my world, it is. I mean, for all of us. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, it, it, it's it's so interesting in the healthcare field, especially certainly what we do. You know, there are plenty of good-looking male counterparts of myself, but I have to say that there's a huge pressure for us females that are in the healthcare beauty industry. You know, there's a tremendous amount of pressure for us to look good, be pretty, balance our lives, you know, not be heavy. I mean, there's a lot of pressure not to have gray hair that I have to dye now one and a half wings every one and a half week. You know, it's it, the struggle is real. And, you know, I look at some of my male counterparts that they don't take care of themselves and it's fine. And so, you know, part of that is neither here nor there. It's just a culture that we've all come to accept. Don't you agree? Absolutely. I want to go there. Oh, cool. What other <laughs> things do you feel like female surgeons, standards you're held to that the male surgeons are not? You know, I I think I struggle every single day with um, a lot of doctors don't feel like they have to look their best when they come and see a patient. But I think that there's a mutual respect. And I think that at the end of the day, I'm their doctor. You know, you guys can roll in with your Lululemons or whatever the case is. And on surgery days, I will wear scrubs. But I do think that it's important for me to look professional when you come in and wear my white coat and be your doctor. I think that when I see some of my male counterparts that roll in with, you know, their scrubs after their workout, you know, every day, I just don't, I think that they should hold themselves to a higher standard too. Put on the tie, you know, make that extra effort for their patients and show a higher level of respect to the patients. I do think that there's also a certain pressure that I have to look, you know, pretty or I have to not have so much expression in my face. But again, I want to encourage the same standards for my patient. You know, I want you to live your life and laugh as hard as you can, and I'll worry about making you look your best. And I kind of feel like, you know, I take care of myself so I can do the same. So I can roll around with my kid at the jumpling park or the trampoline park, and then when I come to work, I can look and feel my best as well. But, you know, like I said, I think that even the staff treat the male doctors a little bit different than the female doctors, you know? I mean, I think that on the days that we really need to get things done, I might not be as warm and friendly. And sometimes we don't have time to sit around and talk about what's going on in everybody's life, you know? And I think that it's very easy for the staff and people to look at that and say, well, she just doesn't care. But I think for a man, if a man doesn't sit in to talk about the staff, what's going on in their life, or, or, you know, are you feeling better? You know, how's the kids or anything like that? I think that it's acceptable. So I do think that that's a tough... I think you're touching something really important here. And I've seen this over and over again with female surgeons, where they're expected to be a great surgeon, but also be every patient's best friend. Yeah. And so when that happens kind of in reverse... I used to do patient satisfaction surveying for a living, and so I I saw 100,000 people react to either a consultation or a surgical experience. And so when you have that much data, you can start to see patterns. Right. And what I saw in the female surgeons all the time was the same complaint, which was they were cold, they weren't friendly, they weren't nice, and they were not holding the male surgeons to that standard because they have different expectations of of women. Across the board. And they don't, I think, recognize that you might see hundreds and hundreds of patients a year. Yeah. You can't be best friends with every single person that comes through the door. 
You know, I love my patients, and when I come to work, I have a lot of fun. I agree with you 100%. I also think that there's also the reverse discrimination, that when I'm laughing and I'm having fun and I'm being jovial, that it's being cavalier. And that's certainly, I am never, no matter what is going on, I am a professional and you'll get a professional result. It's so funny. My staff thought it was really funny the other week when I was in LA. Actually, from the Real Self Modern House Beauty last year, they gave out these squeezy, do you remember those, those Brazilian butts with the cheese <laughs> string thong? And for me, I think it's kind of fun to be funny in the office. So my thing that I like to do is I like to have kind of funny, squeezy things. So has anyone complained about how they break? No. Um, <laughs> no, I have not heard that complaint. So <laughs> I was injecting a patient, and I had a needle in this patient's face, and I heard it rupture. And it started shooting. She squeezed it so hard. That yeah. And she was just, you know, squeezing it and didn't realize that it, it probably been squeezed a thousand times since last year. I mean, it was a year ago. <laughs> and the, everybody, that's their favorite squeezy, for sure. Everybody wants to squeeze the Brazilian butt with, with the butt cheeks and the G-string because it's, it's a funny squeezy. You know, now everyone likes the booby. I'm right. adding this back into our list of swag to, uh, to oh, bring back. Yes. Yes, the pink thong, the purple thong. I mean, it's so funny. So literally, because I knew that that I heard it happen, I turned to the side and it sprayed all over the wall. And the whole, the the everybody assisting, they looked at me and they're like, "Oh my god, like what's going on?" And I, you know, no. Here's the thing: is that at the end of the day, it's not going to affect anything that's happening with the patient. So it was. I turned to the side, but I can continue injecting because that's what's important is the result. So it could get all over the wall, but it missed me because I heard it and I knew it would. And then we cleaned up the mess afterwards. And, you know, <laughs> and we can laugh about it later. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, we're doctors and we're professionals. And no matter how much we're laughing or no matter what's going on at home, we need to continue performing our craft and giving you the best results. Are there other people on your team who can also build relationships with patients that maybe fill oh, in for you yeah. when, when you're not feeling like you're 100% able to be Do you warm? Know, you know, I have to be honest with you. You know, I think that that being said, what Eva's saying, I think is very true. I've been fortunate enough that my patients actually have been there for me on my days that I'm not my best. And I thank you guys for that. I mean, I, you know, I've come in and I said, God, I've had personal tragedies, and I've come to the office. And it makes me feel better. My patients make me feel better. And I think that that's, you know, I get emotional because it's, it's so touching for me that they're there for me. They give me just as much as, I mean, they help me make the decision whether I should put my child in a private or public school, believe it or not. You know, I'm like, well, why, what, 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 you know, what did you think of this school? What did you think of that school? And all of them gave me their honest opinions. And I went home and I talked to my husband and I said, listen, this is what they said. And I don't think you can get that from any other profession. You know, like, when do I have time to sit around and talk with my my girlfriends in that capacity? It's definitely a double-edged sword. Right. But it sounds like you're, you're in your happy place almost all the time that you're at work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can honestly say the hardest part about being a female doctor in today's times. And it's so funny because we did a women empowerment, the first women in cosmetic surgery meeting, what was it, two weeks ago. And I can honestly say that I think the one thing that I really struggle with is that 
we all want to say, like, men are keeping us down. You know, men are not treating us equally or the male surgeons aren't giving us a fair shake. But I can honestly say that women that aren't supporting other women, I think, are— are Worse. Worse. It's, yeah. you know, they want to tear each other down, and we should not be doing that. We should support each other in writing papers and support each other as mothers and wives and for baby mamas. And, you know, I mean, I don't think my husband will ever understand. My husband's a wonderful man, and he deals with a lot of fires, but I don't think he'll understand what it's like to run the entire house and my child's social schedule and activities and pre-plan what's going on in the operating room as well as make sure that we have everything running in both locations and give the one-on-one support to my patients that they actually need. What you're touching on there is, I think, what's called the the hidden burden of motherhood. Yeah. Like, the things we manage in our heads that no one can see, and, and we just carry them out. Yeah. And they happen. And until something happens to you— it often is is not recognized, and for many women, it goes unrecognized for their lifetimes. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's interesting because, you know, my husband would come home, and he's had a rough day at work, and I have too, but I have to make sure that the gardener comes or else everything's going to be a huge mess or that the nanny shows up or, you know, I have to make sure that the homework's done, right, and that Kumon got paid. <laughs> and there's clothes to wear. Clothes to wear. Oh, my God. And their shoes and yeah. their socks. And yeah. their socks that match most of the time. And I have to make sure that I'm not a hot mess, that I'm not walking in with, I can honestly say I came home and I had a black dress on and my white coat. And my white coat usually protects me from most stuff around the office. But my black dress really, I, I had some numbing medication on a patient. And I guess it rubbed off against me. And it's like, you know, this big white stuff all over me, and it looked like, you know. But I went and picked up my child, and everyone's like, gosh, you know, you've got some stuff. And it was— it was, Are you sure it wasn't yogurt? <laughs> Probably yogurt. I was at Starbucks the other day, and a girl in line. It could have been. I could see her hat. She had yogurt handprints all over her back. And I just went up to her and said, Honey, do you have little ones? Yeah. <laughs> and she said, do I have yogurt all over my body? And I was like, yes. Yeah. I just wanted you to know. Yeah, and make sure that the dog doesn't have an ear infection. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, right? You've got to keep pets? everybody alive. I have a, an old ornery kitty. Yeah, so you've got a kitty and a, and a kid and a baby on the way. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can't believe you're even here. Like I said, I, I mean. I like to work as much as you do. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you can't tell, but she's two months away from giving birth to her second child. And, I mean, I don't know about all you. I, I worked— I worked until—actually, I broke my water. I don't know if you know this. I told you this, right? I don't know. I, I broke my water in um, the operating room. Oh, my gosh. And I finished the surgery. <laughs> but um, I owned my ORs. And I was like, don't slip because the last thing I need is somebody to slip and break their, their on neck on water? my my water <laughs> from my child coming into the world. That is classic. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've covered a lot. This has been an amazing conversation. And I, there's one last question I want to ask you. This is how we end every Real Self University podcast. Oh, I love this. I've never done one of these for Real Self, so this is exciting. It's the first of many, I'm sure. So the question is, what is your unique superpower? I have a feeling I know, but I want to hear it from you. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if I have a unique superpower. Everybody has one. Huh. So I think that I have a very unique 
power that I can compartmentalize what's going on in my life. So I think that when I'm stressed at home, I can leave that stress at home. And when I'm stressed at work, I try to leave that stress at work. But I also think that the most important mental compartment that I keep is that when I'm having fun with my friends and my family and my son, you know, when it's time to have happy hour, it's time to have happy hour. And, you know, it's fun. And, oh, you know what? I think I think that one superpower that I really have learned from this whole Austin move is that sometimes you need to pivot. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that we get so locked in to our daily routines that we forget that we need to pivot a little bit. And when I was in L.A., I was all about building this huge practice and bringing tons of patients in and serving as many patients as I can. And then when I came to Austin, it was a little bit different because I had to start over and I didn't know anybody. And that's when I really started pivoting with the pharmaceutical companies a little bit more and started doing more research. And what I realized is I really love talking to other doctors and teaching other doctors and writing papers. And I didn't really know that about myself. So like, One thing, advice that if I could give anybody, not only doctors, is that when, you know, I always say that desperation creates inspiration, right? And I mean that in the best way. So like when I first came to Austin, my schedule wasn't filled the way it's overflowing in LA. And I think that it really kind of bummed me out personally. And I kind of took it personal and I, I felt kind of desperate. Like, what am I going to fill my hours with doing? And that's when I was inspired to really change the face of aesthetics and and really move the bar in our realm. And I feel like I'm more and more doing that because, and and now the books are filled in Austin and it's, it's a great problem to have. And I'm so glad that I had that moment to take a breath and kind of figure out like, what's the next step for me? Scary, but awesome. And uh, I heard resilience Resilience. It was the That's theme good. through that. Oh, I like that. So I think your real superpower is the joy that you exude and live every day. Yeah. But that resilience is the thing that you picked up with all this change over the last couple of yeah. years. It's been really awesome to be part of that and watch it. Thanks for listening to the Real Self University podcast. The mission of Real Self is to create a world where every investment in modern beauty is worth it. And Real Self University is here to help aesthetic professionals do just that. The mission of our podcast is to uncover stories and data from our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. If you'd like to be a guest on the Real Self University podcast, have feedback or questions, email university at realself.com. Support us and help us keep this effort going by subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about becoming Real Self Verified, go to realself.com slash network and enter referral code PODCAST to receive 50% off your first full month of Real Self Spotlights. I'm your host and producer, Eva Shea. Our post-production is by Daniel Cruiser. All of our learning and practice development resources are available on demand at university.realself.com.